0: Welcome back to another Daily Walk. Well, today I want to talk a little bit more about the free grace or hyper grace movement. Um, because uh, I, I visited a church uh, a while back that uh, subscribes to this idea. And uh, I go in there and I didn't know exactly they subscribed to it, somebody recommended it as a church, I said, sure I'll go check it out. And uh, it was an interesting eclectic little place. And, uh, I got in there and, uh, the guy is, I noticed a lot of things in his sermon that were problematic. And, uh, he gives out a lot of these free books and I'm not going to out his name or anything because he's a small ministry, but he is name dropping a lot of big names and he does follow the free grace or hyper grace movement pretty well. And I'm sure there might be a slight distinction between hyper grace and free grace, um, But uh, ultimately, both of them have a lot of fundamental problems this book that I started reading one of his little books and it's so bad I was actually sharing just a few passages with the pastor of the church I'm visiting right now and he's like this like all concerned he doesn't understand that I know a lot about doctrines and these different ideas and things like that and so he's all concerned that I'm reading this heretical book uh, because this is not just a different mindset of Christianity this is downright heresy and I'm going to read you a few excerpts of this book uh, just so you can understand some of the problems. Now, it's also providential that I do this today because the message he mentioned today actually counteracts a few of the things in here. So I'm going to pull in a couple of the verses uh, from, the, uh, from what we uh, saw today. Uh, but here's one quote that he has. So here's the first of the quotes we have. All that God, the Father, asks of us is that we are satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ in which he has already addressed our sin debt, okay? So all the Father asks of us is that we are satisfied. So the entire idea of this book, which is about the surety of salvation or this uh, fear of certainty of salvation, whatever, basically the idea is you don't need to worry about if you're saved or not, if you've prayed your prayer Because you're saved and you just have to stop worrying about it. But there's nothing in the book that addresses the fact that it's those who persevere in Christ. It's those who are in the will of the Father. It's those who live righteously before God. It's uh, casting aside the old sinful ways. None of that is mentioned in here. Instead, all he says is all that God the Father asks of us is that we are uh, satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ. That is so wrong on so many levels. <laughs> that that's all God wants. All God wants is for us to be satisfied. Uh, no, there's several verses of scripture which counteract that. Just off the top of my head, of course, we have the famous Matthew 7, uh, 21 through 23. Many will come to me and that say, saying, Lord, Lord, have we not um, prophesied in your name and cast a demons in your name and done many wonderful works? And I'll say to you, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Okay, this is a, a fundamental principle. Uh, look at uh, Titus. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a, a, the last second to the last verse of either Titus one or Titus two. I I, I think it's Titus one. Um, when it says um, it, it says they profess to know God but deny Him by their deeds. They are detestable, wor- uh, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. Okay, remember we are Ephesians two ten. We are Christ's workmanship. Uh, we are we are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Again, going back into Titus, he gave, uh, saved us to be a zealous people, zealous for good deeds. A people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds is what that verse says. There's a lot there. Uh, look at this one here. And he's uh, referencing here from um, uh, Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. So he's throwing some scripture in here. And uh, I'm going to read verse 18 because he references in the paragraph. Now, where there is remission of these sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. He says, notice in verse 18, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. This is because the offering of Christ for sin once and for all settles our sin problem to such a degree that the issue of the penalty of sin never needs to be considered again. Now, it is true that a Christian does not need to worry about the penalty of sin. But what he's completely missing, what is completely missing in this entire booklet and every other thing that I've seen from this person, sanctification. To live a holy and a righteous life. So that is another principle. Have a look at this one here. This is under the peace of the gospel. The only frustration that God now has with his people is over the fact that they will not take time to learn of his grace and believe it. Understand this, the hyper-grace model says grace is that ultimate thing. All you need is grace. The problem is grace bridges the gap between what God commands us to do and what we ourselves are capable of doing. And as we walk in Christ and become sanctified, that gap should get smaller. It never disappears this side of earth. And this is why we have to have grace. But the principle here is that uh, he's concerned that God's so frustrated that people never learn the idea of grace. No, God's frustrated when people hold up the name of God and still continue in their sin. That is what is over and over and over in the scriptures. This one is this one is downright universalist heresy. Listen to this. Regardless of whether a person ever believes, and ever is, uh, I'm going to read a few words here in like, bold, like italics, bold, ever, These are actually bold in his writing. Regardless of whether a person ever believes in Christ, it is a fact that Jesus has already settled the issue of his sin. Jesus has already made the sinner's peace. Jesus has already satisfied the divine justice of God for the sinner. Whether or not the sinner believes it, the blood of Christ has effectively removed the sin barrier for the sinner, even if he never by faith avails himself of it. That's universalism. Doesn't matter if you do anything. Doesn't matter if you confess Christ. You are saved. God has already wiped it out. Uh, heresy. God's, uh, and this is the idea of limited atonement in Calvinism. It's the controversial doctrine. Because the idea of limited atonement says that Christ didn't die for everybody. He died to accomplish the salvation of his elect. Now there are verses, uh, like John 3.16, he uh, all the world, you know, all the world is in there. And there's a few other verses, all the world. But these are not saying all of the world are under the sacrifice of Christ. I will admit that limited atonement is the hardest single individual point of Calvinism to defend. But it is all throughout Scripture, nevertheless. Think about the consequences otherwise. That part of Christ's sacrifice was inefficient and ineffective. Under this section, what about Repentance. The issue of repentance and what part it plays in passing from death into life has been an issue in the church for about 40 years. A little longer than that. I just got finished reading the life and history of George Mueller. Repentance was all over his message. He lived way longer than 40 years ago. Many a seeking soul has experienced years of turmoil, wondering if and when he came to God. Had God really accepted his repentance? Uh, yes. Oh, we have another another one over here, um, still under this. Uh, he's referencing a book all about repentance. He says, A gospel invitation which focuses on self-reformation is incompatible with grace. I realized that incorporating a prereq turning from sin into the plan of salvation was to add works to God's grace. Moreover, I realized that those who insisted on incorporating this step of self-reformation, in other words, repentance from sin, into the saving response of the gospel, they themselves did not understand grace. So, if you have to have repentance of sin to come to Christ, you are not saved This is heresy. This book is rank heresy. Uh, This whole chapter is called the fallacy of the gospel of total surrender. By total surrender, it is meant that at the point of saving faith, the candidate for salvation is making a commitment to the Lord Jesus to completely enthrone him as the Lord of his life, promising total obedience from that point forward. <laughs> this is heresy. This is nothing short of heresy. Now, what does it get right? Uh very little. I mean, grace is important for sure. Uh and with the idea here, we have to understand that grace bridges the gap from what God commands us to absolute holiness and perfection to what we're capable of doing. Grace is not there as the covering for everything grace is there is the covering for what we are incapable of doing but as a christian we have a commandment to turn our thoughts and our minds and our ways and our life to christ we have a commandment to repent of sin is this works based salvation no but this is such a simple idea it fails to understand the gospel itself which is not just this simple oh just believe it and that's it say this little prayer and you're in this is the same guy when i had lunch with him was telling me how wonderfully successful and amazing in the world his children are oh and you know they're not really following god right now but we know they're saved because when they were eight they made a prayer of salvation i'm sorry I've left a writing group over, I didn't leave the writing group over this, but I was deeply frustrated by a person in a writing group I was in who writes a similar story about the person's son saying, oh, I know my child is saved because of that VBS. I'm so thankful for that VBS when he was eight years old and he prayed for, for salvation. And and it's just so sad that he's doesn't go to church and he's living with his live-in Buddhist girlfriend and, and all these types of things. Like, Lady, your child is not saved. And the longer you delude yourself, into thinking that this person is saved, the further you are going to encroach his soul to hell. Now, obviously, I believe that God is the one who transforms the souls, but you have to start preaching the gospel because God works through the gospel. Now, how did this relate to the message today? He's talking about John thirteen, uh, verses one through eleven, the watching of the feet of the disciples, and he gets to the uh, the end point here uh, in. 8 to 13 and uh, he basically says you know uh, Peter saying to him don't wash just you know don't wash my feet Jesus well then you have no part of me He's other than wash everything he says no you are already clean the person who's already clean needs only his feet washed what does this mean this is the thing that the free grace movement is completely missing the idea is as we are living our life we have to come to Christ repenting of our sins This is true. And the pastor addresses this. um, The fact that we are saved, the regeneration covered it. Romans 3, 23 through 25. Romans 10, 9 to 13. These are ideas that when we come to Christ, we are saved. We are clean. We are washed. We begin the path of sanctification. We never reach this point of heaven. But the washing of the feet... While they're already clean, the washing of the feet is the daily going back to Christ that we are commanded to do. We are commanded to go in and constantly go in and daily spend time with God, daily repent of our sins. Because yes, we will not reach perfection this side of heaven, but it's not that we're at risk of losing our salvation because we sinned yesterday. It's that the commandment of Christ and the love we have for Christ through the gospel of Christ, we constantly and daily go to him, understanding that daily we need the washing. That's the washing of the feet. Daily we need the washing. Daily we need to do this. Even though we are clean, we are justified before Christ, we are saved, we are eternally secure, but at the same time, we still have to go in and and talk about Christ. Well, with that, guys, we're going to wrap this one up here. Thanks for listening. Uh, New audiobook, Half My Life, is rolling out. Uh, so stay tuned for uh, for that or look around for that uh, wherever you buy your audiobooks. Uh, in the next uh, coming week or two, we are rolling out the next book. This is Joe Ash's Influences. Uh, ebook is uh, almost done. Audiobook is done. Print book is done. I'm just waiting on Library of Congress to get me the final numbers. Uh, so once we get that out, we're going to start rolling the book out. It'll be up on the website soon. As soon as that is out, we're going to have a, another coupon code on the newsletter. So sign up to the newsletter on the website at ourwalkinchrist.com for more information about that book. And I have my friend writing an, a wonderful essay about it right now. Uh, so he's going to be doing the uh, the writing for that one. And uh, with that though, guys, uh, I hope that you guys enjoy your daily walk and our Lord. Thank you for tuning in. Our Walk in Christ podcast is a listener supported presentation. For more information about how you can help